thing today is the uh, fruition of an eternal plan. Uh, see, God had an eternal plan that was accomplished by Jesus. And so m most of religion gets to the place where we start with, with how your life is doing and how well you're behaving and, and how, if you haven't behaved well, how you can make that back up to God. But the gospel that we preach uh, starts way, way earlier, starts back in eternity, because in eternity there was a plan that was, uh, that was agreed on by the Godhead long before any human being ever existed. And so we've come to celebrate this, something that's part of an eternal strategy. And God, before he breathed life into anything, <clears throat> the scriptures say that God had an eternal purpose. God had a plan. He had something in his mind long before he ever started creating. So every detail was laid out perfectly in his plan before he ever started executing that plan. And you and I, as part of the creation that God made after he started executing, cannot change the details of the plan. Jesus, who was part of the Godhead, he existed before time. And in the Godhead, this eternal covenant was cut an agreement, a covenant was cut between the members of the Godhead, and Jesus said, I will go and I will take responsibility for everything that I create. I'll take the responsibility to redeem them. If they mess up, you can put that on me, Father. And so that was agreed. But I want you to catch this idea because sometimes people forget about this and then we get back to religion and what you're doing, what I'm doing and how well you're behaving and you didn't follow rule number 17 that I put, put in that's clearly in the manual. And so I just wanna take us out of all of that stuff and let's get back to see what God's trying to do. So let me take you to Ephesians 3 and Ephesians chapter one. I wanna just bring out some of these elements to you because the scripture says in Ephesians 3, according to his eternal purpose. See, God had an eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ. The eternal purpose of God was accomplished in Christ. And Ephesians 1 says, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ. And so long before time began, God set up a plan and, and God's plan was to be executed by Jesus. Jesus was to come to become the begotten son. Jesus existed before time, but he became the begotten son, the begotten not created. He, he came in the form of a man and that choice was made long before time had ever started. So God's eternal plan, which those two scriptures call his eternal purpose, the mystery of his will and his good pleasure, was established long ago. By the way, sometimes people ask me, how do you know God is good? Well, good people delight in good things. And God delighted in a perfect salvation for anybody who believes. Scripture calls it his good pleasure. He delighted in doing good to mankind. And he still delights in showing mercy to anybody who asks for it, and he delights in restoring health and blessings to those of us who don't deserve it, and he delights to do good. That's just who God is. But this idea of God wanting to do good and to be gracious, his gracious and good purpose is almost everywhere in the New Testament, this eternal plan. So take, I'm taking you to 2 Timothy. I know I'm jumping around with a bunch of scriptures, but I need you to see this. This is real in the scriptures. It says he saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we had done. Man, if I could just, if I could just print that in bold and put it out there for all religion. Because religion's message is it's entirely up to what you do. 
And the Bible says he called us, he saved us, and he called us to a holy life, not because of anything we had done, but why? Because of his own purpose and his grace. And this grace was given us in Christ Jesus. When? Before the beginning of time. Because before the beginning of time, when the God had made this covenant, they, they arranged it and they secured it and they made everything perfect. And Jesus said, I will go and I'll be the once for all, perfect sacrifice for all sin, for all man, for all time. And the Father said, son, if you go lay down your sinless life, I will accept that on behalf of all of mankind. Everything that you've created, you can redeem. And anybody who believes in your blood, I'll save. That was established. Paul said, this grace was given to us before time began. But now it has been revealed to us through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light in the gospel. This offer for great salvation was set in motion long before. And Jesus, the member of the Godhead, chosen to execute and to make this great and eternal plan on the earth, he came down and he lived a sinless life. And one Peter says, you know that it wasn't with perishable things like silver or gold that you were redeemed from your empty way of life that was handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of the lamb, talking about Jesus, the lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. I know I'm belaboring the point, I get it. What I'm trying to do is make sure that you know that this is in the Bible. I'm not making this up, right? Because sometimes when you preach the good news, people say, that's too good. My father always told me if something sounds too good to be true, it's probably not true. The problem with that is the gospel is too good to be true. It's just that good. That's why I have to belabor the point a bit. All righty. Now, living in the South, I'm pretty sure that all of you have heard the gospel a few times. But it does us good to hear the gospel again. So let me say it one more time. Jesus, who was God, came in the likeness of sinful man. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. And then he offered that sinless life as a substitute for our sinful ones. And he gave up his life and he died so that his innocent blood could be poured out and God could say, penalty for all sin has been paid. Now, you either pay for your own sins, the Bible says, which if you say, yeah, I'll pay for my own sins, well, then the penalty is eternal death. Or somebody else pays for your sins on your behalf. And the only one who has ever been worthy, the only one whom God ever accepted as a substitute, a possible substitute for your sin and for my sin was Jesus the Christ. And so either you say, I'm gonna believe in Jesus, and then God receives you as perfect, or you say, no, no, I'm gonna do it on my own, in which case you're gonna suffer the penalty of your own sins. And in this weekend, we remember the beauty of what Jesus came to do. He was crucified, he died, he was buried, and then he was raised. And that's the message we preach. We know about his cross and the power of that sacrifice, because when Jesus went to the cross, it was a once and for all perfect sacrifice, all encompassing in its scope, eternal in its duration, completely acceptable to God who is the judge of all. 
And we spoke about this on Friday, for those of you who joined us in the service there, the efficacy of the cross, the glorious power of Jesus to radically alter and transform anybody who puts their faith in Him. We're gonna hear a testimony in just a few minutes about the power of the gospel being worked out in people's lives. But when Jesus went to the cross by his shed blood, the Bible says there were seven things that that are commonly known in theology that this is what the power of the cross accomplished. He cleansed us completely, washing away every sin for everybody who believes. In theology, it's called expiation. Then he absorbed all of the wrath of God against all of my sin and my shameful deeds, against all my rebellion and weakness. He absorbed all of the wrath, so there is zero wrath from God facing anybody who believes in Jesus. Then he bought me back from every form of slavery I had sold myself into and he purchased me, paid the entire price and there is no price that still needs to be paid, zero. And then he ensured that justice was served so that in every matter that I was held guilty, I am now considered to have paid the price and I am acquitted on all counts, free, eternally justified, and it's called justification. Then it was made possible for me to be seen as pure and holy and blameless in his sight because of Jesus' blood, it's called sanctification. And then he restored me to a perfect and beautiful and intimate relationship with God, that's called reconciliation. And then he gave me a brand new life as an enhanced creation, that's called regeneration. Jesus, when he died on that cross, he completely destroyed every work of the enemy over your life. And anybody, anybody who believes in the power of a cross, that power is exploded into your life to destroy everything the enemy has of you. Amen. So now believers are completely clean. There is zero anger in God's heart towards you, but only favor. There is nothing uh, about your life that can be held back in slavery. You're only a slave to his love. There is no accusation against you, and there is no standing against you. You have been made holy in God's sight. You have an intimate relationship with God, and you have been upgraded into a brand new creation. This is true about everybody who believes, and it's not true about them because their lives were perfect. It's true because they put their faith in the one whose life was perfect. It's good news, no? So the Bible teaches that God's eternal power raised Jesus to life. God's eternal power raised Jesus to life. What a powerful savior. What an amazing death, but that death is not the entire picture because there was a resurrection. There was a glory. Because without that resurrection, this would all have been a misguided failure. Uh, Paul says, if if there's no resurrection, we're more to be pitied than all men because we we hold ourselves to a standard that's just not not true. If there is no resurrection, if Jesus didn't come back from the dead, then this would all have been in vain, but Jesus did. See, Jesus came to Golgotha, the place of death and the skull to offer himself and uh, as as an atoning sacrifice for all the sin of mankind. But Jesus just didn't go there out, uh, out of just hope. Jesus went there with an oath from his father. See, long before, before time had begun, before Jesus turned around and began to say, let there be light, when this covenant was being cut, Jesus said, Father, I will go and be the atoning sacrifice. I will lay down my sinless blood and you can put all of the sins of all mankind on me. You can punish me for their sins, Father. I will go and do it. And when Jesus said that, the Father said, Son, 
I swear it to you. I swear an oath. We can find this all over Psalm 16 and in the New Testament all over the place. But God said to him, if you lay down your life, son, I swear this to you. You die, I'll raise you back again. So Jesus goes to the cross and it's brutal, man. He, he, the night before, he said, Dad, isn't there another way? Can we, isn't, can we find another plan here? Because this is brutal what I'm facing. But he said, I understand it's necessary for me to go because there was no one else. There was no one else who had created all things. There was no one else whom God had appointed to be the high priest for all time. There was no one else who had lived this in this life. There was no one else. So Jesus knew he had to do it. So he said, Father, I'm gonna go lay down my life. But, but I want you to understand that when Jesus hung on the cross, there, there was a step of faith. Before he even hung on the cross, going to the cross, Jesus understood, I'm gonna die. But I have a promise. I have an oath from my Father that if I'll give up myself to death, he'll raise me. And so the act of faith that Jesus displayed for us was going to the cross. See, that wasn't just Jesus in obedience, that was Jesus believing his Father's promise. See, God swore this oath, son, if you go lay down your life, I swear two things to you, you will be the eternal high priest. You will be the one to represent mankind to me. The only voice that I'll ever listen to. The only one whose cry for mercy I will respond to. The only one whose prayers I will answer on behalf of mankind. You will be the high priest forever if you do this. And secondly, if you die on their behalf, I swear, son, I'll raise you up. And this is what Acts 2, this is what, this is what Peter preaches. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which he did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me and because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices and my body will also rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your holy one see decay. That's a messianic Psalm. David is prophesying the words of Jesus. Jesus internally said, I'm going to die, Father. I'm going to pay because death is the necessary payment for all of their sin. So I'm gonna give myself up to die. But I know you swore you would not let your holy one see decay. So I'm gonna go give my life in faith that you're gonna raise me up again. Now, Jesus knew his father would. But I want you to understand that all of heaven waited. All of the glory of God, all of the armies of heaven poised, waiting to jump at the command of God. But Jesus had to lay down his life before that could be put into effect. God couldn't raise Jesus before Jesus died. And nobody could take Jesus' life from him. He had to give his life. When they came to arrest him, they said, where's Jesus? He said, I'm here, and they all fell down. So Jesus had to help them up. He go, no, no, stand on your feet, because Jesus had to give himself. They couldn't take him. Do you understand? This wasn't something people took from Jesus. Jesus had to surrender himself. He surrendered himself to death on the cross. He surrendered his life. They didn't take it from him. 
But God couldn't raise Jesus before Jesus had died. And so that the payment of our sins required Jesus to die because God had set it up right at the beginning. If the, soul, if the soul who sins must die. And that, my friends, was the choice that Jesus was facing. Is my father's oath trustworthy? And so Hebrews 13 says, now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, remember we spoke about the eternal covenant? The blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep. Every covenant that was ever cut in history required blood. That's what covenant means. Come from the Hebrew word barit means to cut, to cut an animal in half, blood flows. Every covenant was ratified by blood. And so the eternal covenant that God made before time began was only ratified when Jesus came in a body that had blood in it. And when Jesus gave that blood up to death, he not only, he not only ratified the new covenant, but he, he ratified the eternal covenant. And so when God was waiting, all of heaven's glory is waiting until that blood is shed and his death and his blood spilled and heaven said, the covenant is unlocked. And now through the blood of the eternal covenant, God said, now raise him from the dead. God the Father was the member of the Godhead who made all the oaths. He is the most trustworthy being alive anywhere. And he swore an oath to his beloved son, I'm gonna raise you. And so Jesus goes to the cross and gives himself up. And by the way, the Father made another oath. He said, anyone who believes in Jesus I'll raise him as well, or her as well. Just like Jesus had to believe, you and I have to believe. Because it's not primarily your behavior, it's primarily what you believe. And if you put your faith in the finished work of Jesus, if you put your faith in what Jesus did on your behalf, then you will be saved. That's the oath of the Father. He said, anybody who believes, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that anybody who believes, anybody who believes, anybody believes, they won't perish, but they'll have eternal life. And after Jesus, Jesus was about to die on the cross. You know the last two things he said? Second to last thing he said is it is absolutely completed. It is absolutely done. It is wholly perfected. I have accomplished perfectly in every detail everything I was sent to do. It is absolutely done. And you know what he said next? He turned to his father because there was a faith in his heart. And he said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And he died. And when he died, the ground began to shake and the earth shook. And people in Jerusalem who weren't there at the time, who didn't see the exact moment of Jesus' death, all they realized is that there was an earthquake. But the, the centurion who was standing there, who heard the words of Jesus, who saw him die, and then at that moment felt the earth shake, he said, that was the Son of God. 
And in the temple, God leaned down and ripped the curtain in two, said, we don't need this old way to get into my presence any longer. Now, all of heaven's resources, all of the glory of God, all of the power of the universe, which is poised and waiting and hoping to be released to fulfill the oath that God made, waits for your faith. See, the Bible says Jesus, after he died, he went to preach to the spirits that were kept in prison. He went to explain the gospel to them. And, and the very second he was done there, the moment he said, okay, dad, I'm ready, all of heaven's glory reached down and just ripped them out of the grave. And there was a second earthquake. The people in Jerusalem who weren't at the grave were like, wow, we're just full of earthquakes this week. But the stone was rolled away and Jesus was raised up from the dead. Not just Jesus, everybody who believed in him from the grave was raised up from the dead. And the Bible says, people just showed up in Jerusalem. That looks a lot like my great uncle so-and-so. And there's a granddad, that guy, there was a remarkable resemblance to people just showed up. Why? Because Jesus raised everybody from the dead. Death couldn't hold the author of life. Death was a structure that he'd created. It can't define him or hold him captive. The Bible says, through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead, our Jesus. I want you to see all of heaven's resources are waiting for the step of faith that you take. Same resurrection power that Jesus experienced is released to everybody who believes in Jesus' blood. His blood still speaks for anybody who believes. Now, Christians, we celebrate that body broken and that blood shed by taking communion. It's a little symbolic act that reminds us, my God loved me this much, that he gave his only begotten son so that his pure broken body, his beautiful innocent blood was broken and shed for me and I put all my faith in his work and not in my own work. And every time we celebrate communion, we celebrate this gospel. We remember this resurrection power because it's faith that releases God's power. Not the perfection of your performance, but your faith in the perfection of Jesus' performance. What you believe is vitally important. So God's eternal character awaits your faith. I wanna close by asking you, what oaths lie before you? What has God promised you? You say, Greg, well, I don't really have a good relationship with God. I don't, I don't really talk to him. It feels pretty much a one-way street whenever I do. Well, well, let me ask you, what do you believe in God for? Because there are some promises that God made to all mankind. You say, well, how do I know this is for me? Because this is for every person alive. Let me, let me give you a few. Jesus said, anybody, anybody who believes in me will have eternal life. Jesus said, anybody who the Father draws to me, if you're feeling drawn to God, if, you, if, you, if there's something in your spirit going, oh, I really would like my life to count. I, I really wanna know God. If, if that's something that's going on in you, that's God the Father drawing you. And Jesus said, anybody, anybody, anybody. I don't care your background. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've said. I don't care what you've done. Anybody, anybody who believes, anybody who comes to me, Jesus said, I will not drive away. That's what he said in John 6. And all those the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never 
drive away. Isn't that good? That means you. In the middle of weakness, in the middle of foolishness, in the, in the weakness of your life, and maybe some shameful things you've done, in the middle of whatever you've done, you and me, we can come and he will never drive us away. How kind is this God? How beautiful. Let me give you another one. Romans 8. If he didn't spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all, how much more will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Resurrection power of God stands poised behind the promises God has made to you. Some of you who've known him for a long time, he's whispered an oath or a promise to you. I just wanna dare you. While we celebrate this resurrection day, I dare you, I dare you to take a step of faith in the direction of his oath. Don't tell me you're too young or too old. Don't tell me you've got not enough anything. It wasn't because you were wealthy or because you were pretty or because you were strong that God chose you. He chose you because you believed. There are some people in this place that God wants to do incredible things, revolutionize your life, transform your heart, make profound changes in, in the circumstances of your life. I know this because he's doing it all the time, all across the church, consistently. And the way he does this is simply that ordinary people like us turn our hearts to him and say, Jesus, I believe. I believe. And because of that faith, the power of God is unlocked and unleashed to come into your life and change everything around so that it looks like his promise, so that it fulfills his word to you. I'd like to show you a video of testimony of Melanie. And this is Melanie's testimony. Melanie's come to us in the past six months and God has just been, the explosive power of God has just been moving in just about every avenue of Melanie's life. And I want you to listen to this because I guarantee you somewhere in this, there's a testimony that'll register with you and you go, yeah, Lord, could you do that for me? Because when we tell testimonies, it's really just the Lord provoking us. It's like the Lord, the, the Holy Spirit's going, you like me to do this for you? Like I'm doing this now among you. Do, do you want some of this? So I just dare you, as you listen to this, if you turn your heart and say, Lord, do, do it again, Lord, but do it in my life. Let's watch this message from Melanie.